Welcome everyone to the Marketing with a Book podcast. Thanks for being with us today. My name is Henry DeVries. I'm the leader of the podcast. I also run Indie Books International. We work with independent consultants who want to attract high paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. And in fact, in the last decade, I have been the ghostwriter, co-author, editor, publisher of more than 300 business books, including an international bestseller with McGraw-Hill, How to Close a Deal Like Warren Buffett, now in Chinese. As a result of working with me, authors report that they get more credibility, more impact, more influence, and more clients. And on a personal note, I'm a baseball nut. I have visited 44 Major League Baseball parks. I've got three to go before I touch them all. October is my favorite month. And yes, I was out there at the uh, playoffs with the Dodgers and Giants last night. So um, October is a favorite time for me. So welcome, everyone. Before we get started, our topic today is publicity to get more credibility, publicity to get more impact, publicity to get more influence. So. Before we launch into that, we'd like you to meet the authors on the call. So some of our Indie Books authors have joined us today as our studio audience. So I'd like to have them introduce themselves, uh, tell you where they're from and the title of their book. So we're gonna go with uh, uh, Chris, David, and Pam to start us off. Oh, I'm unmuted. Hi, I'm Chris Hodges. I am the author of Noble Automation. Can you see that? Yeah, Noble Automation Now. Innovate, motivate, and transform with intelligent automation and beyond. It's called Using Technology in a Human Way. I live in Denver, Colorado. Thanks. Chris, can you tell people some of the uh, company uh, executives that are endorsing your book? Well, it, it, boy, that was a softball. That's fantastic. It, just, just, just drop just drop a few company names. That's all. So uh, one of the most senior executives of Nestle is writing the foreword. Uh, the CEO of Assurant is writing an endorsement. I just got one from the chief people officer of Lego. General Electric, Ernst & Young. And I'm forgetting someone and I'm glad they're not on this call or they'd hear that I forgot them. <laughs> do they have three letters and do they work in insurance? Uh, a, that's sorry. AIG. That's another one. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Thanks, yeah. Chris. So, so Chris is kind of a big deal, I think. Uh, we were getting those names. Nice names to drop. Okay, uh, David, uh, Dr. Pam, and then Joe. Thanks, Henry. Hi, I'm David Goldman, and I'm coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in one of the few months of the year that it's just gorgeous here. And, um, and I wrote the book, uh, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want, um, and I'm just thrilled to be here. Thanks, Henry. I believe today's a holiday in Pittsburgh. Uh, the penguin season starts tonight in hockey. Is that true? Oh, we're crushing our fingers. The Pittsburgh teams are not, this has not been proven to be a very good time of the year for Pittsburgh teams. That's all we'll say. Well, maybe it'll give people more time to read books like yours. There you go. Okay. Uh, Dr. Pam and uh, then Joe. Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Straker from Brooklyn, New York, and I am currently writing a book on caregivers and humor. Um, I am a licensed psychologist. I right now work as an administrator in the field of 
um, uh, disparities in health. Um, and I'm looking forward to completing this project. Thank you. If, if you get a chance, you might want to look at her first book. Let me stop you right there. Um, in the corporate world, I thought this book would have come in real handy when I was a manager and supervisor um, because it's just like a little role play you can have when people come in and drop some things on you. So good job on that, Pam. Thank you. So uh, I'm sorry, I said next would be um, me. Joe. Thank you. Hi, I'm, I'm Joe Palo. I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. David, like you, this is a good time of year to be in this part of the country. It's very nice. I'm the author of How to Sell Nothing, and it'll be due out in November, December. Was that your workbook, or is that your book yeah. that you printed out so you can read it? I just printed it out so I had a copy of it. It's not the workbook yet. The workbook is still in. We need to talk about that. <laughs> We'll talk. Short, so a pattern interrupt for everybody. Um, we are big advocates of the author publishing a workbook that's a companion to the book that we publish for you. So it's something you would sell for a hundred to you know five hundred dollars, depending on your audience and the content. And a lot of times you can bundle your book with a workbook. Um, a workbook to print can cost you $10. And if you sell it for 100, you're getting 90 on there. So there's some perceived value to it. Mark LeBlanc has talked about on this call, um, he's the chairman of the board of Indie Books where he made a half million dollar mistake uh, for solid reasons, but he never published his workbook for his bestseller, how to close the, I'm sorry, his bestseller, um, growing your business. And he estimates if 10% of the people bought a workbook who bought the book, that would be a half million dollars in revenue. So workbooks are important, Joe. I'm looking forward to that conversation. How about um, we're going to go with uh, Mason and John and Regina. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Mason Harris. I'm uh, sometimes known as the chutzpah guy. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, which is known for its political chutzpah, and the name of my book is The Chutzpah Advantage, so that completes the trifecta for me. <laughs> That's a whole lot of chutzpah going on. Um, Mason, we, um, we were doing some publicity recently, and as I recall, um, in other parts of the country, there are some interesting words for chutzpah. Uh, just, just real quick, can you share a few? Well, uh, gumption. Gumption. Which, uh, I love that word. And uh, actually, one of uh, Kirkus Review used that. They called my book an honor to gumption. An honor to gumption. So, <laughs> so that was cool. There's another word that, that really I could only use in like a PG crowd. Right. Oh, so we'll, we'll stay away from that. But you have audacity, grit, determination. People have a good sense of what it is. But defining it, knowing how to implement it consistently becomes a bit more of a challenge. Yeah. So the grit and gumption were interesting to me um, that people, um, let's say, uh, in the Midwest where they don't have access to good deli, uh, they still understood your concept. Uh, yes. And yeah. it was uh, fun then going out for rodeo with them. 
Yes. <laughs> Y'all. Y'all. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Um, and I believe John's up next and then Regina. Hi, I'm John Salaika from Memphis, Tennessee. My upcoming book is going to be called Building Trust for Organizations, where I want to help organizations fix and correct trust problems as opposed to just saying, I don't know what to do because it's an undefined, unmanageable feeling. Thanks, John. Uh, Regina and then uh, Michelle. Hi, everyone. I'm Regina Barr, and I am res resurrecting my book project with Henry, which is Solving the Confidence Riddle. It's a book that will be geared towards women in leadership, and uh, I hope to see many more women propel themselves forward. So, Regina, you used the word resurrection, a uh, rebirth. Uh, I think a lot of us can relate to putting books on hold and coming back to them when the time's right. We always say there's either a reason or an excuse for not getting the book done. You had some reasons. I'm not going to share them, but you had reasons. Uh, and then one of them was, and thank you for your service. Uh, we appreciated that. Okay. Um, thank you. Michelle, do you care to share? We'll give Michelle just a second. She might have just been listening on this one, which is I fun. was I was just listening. Okay, that's cool. And I'm kind of trying to be a fly in the wall here, Henry. And thank you for letting me join in. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just listen and learn. Sure. Sorry to put you on the spot. No problem. Um, no problem. Okay. But um, so the first lesson we're going to give you is um, being ready to stand and deliver. This is about publicity today. So everybody here got a little publicity for their book and you never know what that can lead to because these podcasts are on YouTube, they're on Spotify, they're on iTunes. They're a gift that keeps giving. People come in and they might listen to it and we put our authors up front for a reason so we can quickly give them a second to talk about their book because somebody might be looking for a keynote speaker. Somebody might be looking for a workshop leader. And the number one way is if they experience you. And even experiencing in a brief amount, like we do on a podcast, or um, I was in New York City last week. Uh, we did a live event and several of our authors attended and we let them showcase what they were doing at it. And they were very generous with giving information to the other prospective authors that were there. That's a win-win. They also know it's publicity. It was interesting talking to one of our authors and she came out with her book just when COVID hit. So, and I hadn't had a deep conversation with her. Um, and she said, yeah, the book really paid off for me. It opened these doors. But it wasn't the way I thought. I thought I was going to be doing more keynote speaking and workshops. And actually, I believe she was invited on some boards and other things as a result of her book. And you never know how it's going to pay off. But it, it does pay off. So we're going to talk publicity today. Because if I rank order the top things you can do to promote your book, number one are small-scale seminars. We've talked about that. You control the time, you control the place. Um, I used to do all of these live, but uh, because of COVID, 
most of the things we do now are online. So I have events uh, every month. But, uh, Suzanne might be able to help me. I think our next one's on the 20th. October 20th, we're going to have a, a Zoominar that we invite people through, uh, through LinkedIn. And that's something we control. Number one thing to do. Number two is to get invited on other people's stages. So last week, I put together a panel for a national conference for the uh, Society for the Advancement of Consulting. And at the Society for Advancement for Consulting, they wanted a panel on how to get national publicity. So that's something that I've done, something I've helped authors do. So we had a panel of uh, three of the authors in the Indie Books family talking about that. Um, two write for Forbes, uh, different ways they got in. Other person has been covered in national publications and how she goes about doing that and getting articles placed. So it was all about the publicity is what we were talking about. And that leads us to number three. The third secret weapon is get published. Get published in how-to publications. And that's a spectrum. So the spectrum starts at LinkedIn. You should be using LinkedIn as your article platform. And it is free. When people go to check us out now, they go to our LinkedIn profile, they should be seeing recency that you've published something. The year was 2014, the place, Orange County, California. I'm invited in to speak to a group of executives in transition. So I had to understand, well, what is this executives in transition? Basically, they were executives in their 50s who had been downsized, right-sized, whatever size. They were no longer having their corporate job, so they didn't know if they should take up consulting as a career or what strategies could they do to get back into the corporate game. First, if you know me, I told them that we're never out of work. We're just consulting. So you're all consultants as far as I'm concerned. But then I asked them some questions. Um, one of the questions was, um, how many of you um, are blogging or using LinkedIn as a blog platform? And hands did not go up. <coughs> and I said, well, I have to step on your toes a little here. You all look old to me. And I don't mean that you need to dye your hair, or get a hair piece or use skin cream though probably would help for some of you. So my point is, you're saying you're an expert in something. And yet, there's no proof of that, that I can read. There's, you know, it's free on LinkedIn to state your opinion on things that are happening in the industry, trends you see, how-to information. So I said, worse than that, when I talked to some of you before, you reminded me of Clint Eastwood in the movie Grand Torino. Get those kids off my lawn. I said, you were bad-mouthing getting publicized on social media. And uh, that makes you sound old to your prospects. 
who expect to see you out there. So that's the start of the spectrum. And we've had people come on and talk to us about LinkedIn. And I refer you to those podcasts that how to do a better job on LinkedIn. One of the things is having current information up there. So if that's your only platform, you should have an article every 30 days on LinkedIn. So you're never more than a month away from having something on there. Okay, that's the start of the spectrum on getting published. It goes all the way, and many of you are authors with us, and many of you have achieved being Amazon uh, bestsellers, maybe through a Kindle campaign, through a greater campaign. Um, the farthest end of the spectrum is New York Times bestselling author. Um, and it would have cost me $100,000 to get my Warren Buffett there. I spent $20,000 on the campaign that got me to amazon.com number one ranking in four categories on the bestseller list for over 100 days. Um, that's how I got the book in five different languages through McGraw-Hill. Okay, not all of us is, are there yet, but that's where you wanna move on the spectrum. Now there's a lot of places in the middle between being an Amazon or New York Times bestseller and having a blog on LinkedIn. So let's walk through that. Um, I wish you could have been there when Lisa called. And the year was 2007. I was in San Diego, California. Lisa had left her corporate job. She was handling the Microsoft account. So she was in six figures, but decided she wanted a different life, a fuller life. She wanted to work with IT companies and help energize growth in IT companies. So Lisa called me and said, I want to do a book. It was dry. Lisa says, I want to do a book. And I said, not yet. You're not ready for a book. So why not? I said, well, that's like going from not working out at all to running a marathon. Um, you need to build up to it. I said, let's get you a column. So I got her a column with the San Diego Daily Transcript. I'm sure you're all familiar with this, he said sarcastically. It's a paper that's been around for over 120 years in San Diego. It's the legal paper of record. The San Diego Daily Transcript publishes liens and notices of um, intent to do business in a certain way or, or to get a DBA lawsuits. They need articles so all these ads for the legal community don't run into each other. So they pay nothing. I convinced the editor to give Lisa a try. It'd be a monthly column. She wrote and published her first column. And then she, she called me and said, um, would you tell me that thing again about how you get into events free because you're a journalist? And that is true. I've never joined the National Speakers Association. I think it's a great organization. I attend many of their conferences for free because I'm a journalist who covers the conference. Uh, recently, I cover it for Forbes.com. So I said, well, when you're 
a journalist, you don't talk to the marketing group that's trying to sell sponsorships and attendance packages. You talk to the publicity director and you tell them that you'd like a press pass, a media credential to cover the conference. Um, I've saved over $1,000 on many conferences with this strategy. Now you actually have to do something. You have to write about the conference. It's not a scam. So Lisa said, well, the reason I'm asking is the ideal conference for me, this IT conference is gonna be held on the Queen Mary in Long Beach. So all these high profile IT executives will be on the boat. And I know you say networking is important. I, yeah, you know, that it finishes fifth in my list of top seven things to do. I said, yeah, networking is very important. She says, yeah, they want $1,000 to attend the conference and I don't really have that right now. I said, no problem, let's talk to the publicity director. Well, Lisa was a little afraid of this strategy. She didn't know if this was gonna work. Sure enough, the told the publicity director, um, that she was a columnist for the San Diego Daily Transcript. And here's one of her recent columns. <laughs> it was her only column. They gave her a press credential. So it comes time to walk on the gangplank into the Queen Mary. Lisa's a little scared. Uh, and as she crosses onto the Queen Mary deck, the publicity director sees her from across the room and says, Lisa, is that, is that you, Lisa? Uh, oh, you know, I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. She comes over and Lisa's like, oh no, what's this going to be? She goes, Lisa, I'm so glad I found you. The Los Angeles Times just canceled their interview with our keynote speaker, Dr. Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, you didn't have to tell Lisa. He, he was the author of that book. She was a huge fan of his work and his writing. And the publicity director said, Lisa, would you like to have their interview spot and interview Dr. Stephen Covey? Lisa had been trained by Henry, so she knew what to do. She paused three seconds for dignity and said, thank you for asking. And the next thing she knows, she's in a private room with Dr. Covey. Lisa, though, is honest. She says, Dr. Covey, I've got to tell you that I'm very nervous about this interview because I'm a rookie. I've only written one newspaper column and now I'm interviewing you. Dr. Covey says, it's okay, Lisa, don't be nervous. I get interviewed all the time. I know all the questions that people ask. In fact, I know all the answers. Why don't, uh, why don't I ask the question and then I'll give the answer and you just take notes. And that's how the interview went. Fast forward three years later, I'm in New York City. I'm on a cell phone with Lisa. She's negotiating a five figure contract with a big New York publisher for her first book that she hadn't written yet. But what sold them was the endorsement for the book she had from Dr. Stephen Covey. He endorsed her book before she even wrote it. These are some of the, the offshoots. These are some of the tangents. These are some of the byproducts that can happen from publicity. So I did not start at Forbes.com. 
I started at the San Diego Daily Transcript with a column. In fact, one of the people who I was fascinated with and interviewed was this guy named Mark LeBlanc, uh, an author, and he had a workshop he put on, a three-day uh, achievers circle, he called it, and I had heard that he didn't charge admission. He had an incredible guarantee that you attended it. And then at the end, you told him how much you wanted to pay based on how much you could afford at that time and how good the session was. It was just this anti boot camp. Everybody was doing these boot camps and high price boot camps, a lot of pressure. And he was going the total opposite direction. And I wrote about him in the San Diego Daily Transcript. And from there, our relationship has grown uh, over these many years. So I started there, I worked up to the um, CBS Money Watch, uh, Inc.com, Forbes.com. I, I asked Forbes.com if I could be a columnist and they said no. So I asked them a different way and they said no. So I asked them a third way and they said, no, I asked them a fourth way. And they said, no, but why don't you show us something that you write? We'll take a look at that. And that's when they said, yeah, we'll run some of your things for free. And after doing that for two years, they fired all their free people like me but offered a hundred of us a contract to be paid writers for Forbes. It, it was one of my dreams. But as you know, I'm a writer. I love writing. I think the best gig for an author is to find the right publication, become a columnist, because you don't have to sell them every month, every week on publishing you. They're already sold. You just have to do the work. So, getting columns and key publications. And some of our authors we've worked with, they've been very specific trade publications that they work with. Um, others have gotten to Forbes.com. I, I just happen to be a journalist. I started as a professional writer at the age of 15 with the Chino Champion. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. Um, yeah, um, little podunk town, little podunk newspaper, um, but they paid me. And it continued that I've been a paid journalist uh, for, oh gosh, I gotta do the math. Is that almost 50 years? So I love it. I love doing it. When, when I learned that story about being a paid correspondent for Forbes, I, I didn't know that. Somebody, someone else told me in the industry and he said, uh, so Henry, how did you get that gig? And I said, well, I was just, writing for free for them. And then this offer came and he says, wow, okay. I read about that in the Wall Street Journal, you know, the move that they were making at Forbes. So that was a dream of mine that to me was the, the best business publication I could write for. Um, I said, so, so what's your angle in it? I said, well, you know, I, I uh, portray myself as a marketing expert and I go to conferences and I interview famous people you know, or say, oh, I was with this famous person and, and give advice from them. And he listened, he says, Henry, I have to stop you. You are a marketing expert. 
you do go to conferences and you do know famous marketing people and you write about them. I said, yeah, I guess if you look at it that way, yeah, it's not, it's not a shtick, uh, Mason. It's not an act. Uh, I'm really doing it. I, my, I, I like to go to Pebble Beach every year um, and watch the golf tournament there. And I went a few years ago and I bumped into the PR director who knew me from college and said, why are you buying a ticket to attend this? Why don't you cover it? And I said, well, I, you know, I don't know who to ask and have to work. And he said, I think you can solve that. So the next year I'm there at the tournament and I, I gave that same sort of thing about, oh, I bump into famous people. And she goes, oh, well, um, the, the man from Hootie and the Blowfish, now I'm losing the name. Anybody want to help me? Darius Rucker. Darius Rucker says he's just been named the goodwill ambassador for the PGA. Um, you, you have a press credential. You could go meet him when he comes off the golf course and interview him. So I go down to the tent where the players come off. It was a, it's a pro-am. Uh, and he comes off and I said, oh, you know, Mr. Rucker, um, could I have a few words uh, for a, a story I'm working on? And this, he had a handler. You know, the people walk with these people and the handler goes, he can't talk to you. He has no time to talk to you. Um, this is like your worst nightmare. He has no time to talk to you. He has to talk to CBS. And then after that, he has to talk to the Golf Channel. I said, okay. So I just followed him over to those tents and I listened to what he said and I wrote down what I needed. I had everything I needed. And then he got done with his one interview and I left, I was gonna go write my story. And uh, he calls out and goes, uh, excuse me, sir? He says, and I turn around to Darius Rucker and I said, yes. He goes, you wanted to interview me? I said, oh, thanks Darius. I got everything I needed from your other interviews. I just wrote them down. He said, but you know, my editor at Forbes is going to say, did you talk to Darius Rucker? And I'm going to say, yeah, I talked to Darius Rucker. And we both had a good laugh and he went off to have a beer and I went off to, to write my story. So it opens up some of those doors. Well, how do you get to be a columnist? Well, you work your way up and you find the publication that you want to write for prepare four sample columns that could run in that publication, four. And then approach them with a pitch letter that's, that says you wanna write for them, what your credentials are, and may you send them four sample columns. Expect a lot of no's, there'll be a lot of no's. To get something in the Wall Street Journal once, I was turned down 12 times. The 13th time, they didn't respond. They just went ahead and printed. Uh, so that's how I got in the Wall Street Journal. So you never know. Well, I didn't ask the same person 12 times. Will you publish this? Will you publish this? Will you publish this? No, I found different angles, different approaches, different ways. If it's that important to you, it takes a lot of persistence. I interviewed someone at the Wall Street Journal who writes a column, and he gets approached 200 times a day 
200 emails pitching him on a story. And he says, I read every one for 10 seconds. And if they don't catch me in 10 seconds, I hit delete and I go on to the next one. The message to you is if you want to get their attention, you've got 10 seconds. There's not a lot of preamble. Right away, you should say, this is the story you're pitching and this is the angle. I get a couple of dozen pitches a day with Forbes.com. Word has gotten out that I exist. I'm in, I'm in some media directories, so all these people. And almost everyone is horrible. So this is the good news I have for you. With just following a few tips I'm gonna give you right now, you can be above everybody who pitches me on a daily basis. Um, one, none of them have read what I write or have a sense of what I cover, nor even ask the question, what am I looking for? I have an email I send people if they would ask me that question. Usually it's just, there's something I see in their idea that has a glimmer and I say, maybe, you know, and I give them the email on what I write about, how to pitch me, how to approach it and do that. Also having been on the PR side, I was a president of a public relations agency um, and I had been a publicist and worked my way up the ranks. I at least say no thank you to each pitch. If I'm not gonna do it, I say no thank you. I don't just leave it out there. Though I am surprised at how many people do not read my responses. They just keep pitching me. They do that thing I told you not to do. Uh, and sometimes, if you had time to think of this idea, just check in to see if you'd read my email. And I don't want to be mean, Henry, or actually the name from his dick, my evil twin, Dick DeVries. I don't want Dick DeVries to respond to them because he would say something like, as I said in my last email, no. That hasn't changed. You know, I don't do that. Just no thanks again. We do it. Okay. The lesson for you is number one, be very clear in the opening of this approach email about them interviewing you or you writing an article for them, what it's about. If you'd like a monograph on how to pitch an article, I have a monograph I'll share. Just ask and I'll get you a copy of that. And I give detailed instructions on how to do it. Number two, give an indication that you've actually read what this person has written about. In the podcast, we say, give a clue that you've actually listened to an episode of the podcast. Um, all journalists and editors and podcasters, they're, they're human. They wanna know that uh, you actually took an interest in them. This wasn't just some throwing a bunch of spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, that actually, this wasn't a, as they say, shotgun approach. This was a targeted approach. I, I hope we could get the gun metaphor uh, out of here and improve it, but it's, it's the right concept that it was directed toward you for a reason, okay? Um, the third thing is you need to give some quick evidence. I call it the credibility statement in 20 words or less, why you're the person to write this. Now, here's your inside track. Being the author of a book on the subject is an inside track. 
it's very easy for me to quote an author. <clears throat> that's, that's just the, the de facto credibility statement, more so than the person's a PhD, um, more so that they're a professor somewhere. Um, I asked somebody, well, what credibility statement can I give my editor at Forbes on why I'm writing about you? And he said, I've been in business for 20 years. Okay, I, I didn't tell him that I've been golfing longer than Tiger Woods. How long you've been doing something is not an indication that of credibility. So there had to be something where you had marquee accounts. I teased this out with Chris Hodges at the start of this call when I was saying, oh, what are some names of companies on the back of your book, the blurbs? So he has some names he can drop. You know, my book has been endorsed by executives at X, Y, and Z. Okay, you've got my attention. As a journalist, we need to put in something in there. Um, at the end of an article that you're bylined, it's the, uh, it's, it's the blurb, it's usually in italics. It's about who you are. It's two, two sentences. So it has to be that instant. Same thing when you're pitching podcasts, which is a great form of publicity. I think it's replacing now, number two, getting invited on, on other people's stages. The other people's stages are the podcasts right now. They're virtual. There's a, a million of them and they're multiplying like rabbits. Uh, there's probably close to 2 million on Apple real soon. So there's a lot of it. And then you'll say, well, how do I get on the big podcasts? Well, you got to work your way up sometimes. You got to do those ones that are just happy to have you. Um, and then as your stature grows, your platform, as we say in publishing, then you've got a better shot to get on the bigger podcasts. Here's the little dirty little secret of podcasts. Not ours, but most podcasts. It's about what can the interviewer do for the podcast? In other words, what kind of platform do you have that you'll blast out? You know, oh, it was uh, so humbling to be interviewed on the, uh, you know, number one ad week marketing podcast of the year. And so you're sending it out to your platform of people who are connected to you on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, your email list. So all these things. I get interviewed a lot because of being a Forbes.com columnist, not because I'm the CEO of a publishing company, because they're hoping with my platform, which is over 20,000 people now, when I send the word out, that'll get some buzz for their podcasts. So the same thing, it's something that you evolve to do. We're on a journey. This is, the book was not one and done or been there, done that. We're on a journey for credibility, impact, and influence. So the more we can do with publicity, the more we can do with speaking, the, the better it's going to be. So you can pitch articles. You can pitch opinion pieces for publicity. I've done this a great deal for myself and for clients where we'll find the right publication and we'll get an opinion piece published. Um, it's time for blank, blank. That's my favorite headline for an opinion piece, where you write a certain flow, a persuasive flow of what you're recommending people do, why they should do it, what the opposition is, 
why the opposition is wrong, what action you need to take now, and reminding what they need to do in 800 words with some evidence and a hook lead to get people interested in it. There's a, there's a formula for this. I'm happy to share it with our authors if you're looking for it. The, the formula was taught to me by an Emmy award-winning editorial writer for a TV station. He used to have a real hard newspaper job and got hired by the TV station to do one editorial a day. Either he would deliver it or some other member of the station that he'd write it for them. And he said, the hardest part of the job was looking busy for six hours of the day and then spending the one hour writing it and then one hour on the set as the person recorded and delivered it. And once you know the formula, um, I taught the formula to uh, my daughters and they both used it to win scholarships with this formula. I've used it constantly to get into business journals and daily newspapers uh, using this op-ed formula. And the publications like it because they want the voice of the people. They, they want interaction. And this is something they can do. What's a great source for all this information? The book you wrote, Reduce, Reuse, Recycle. Information in your book could be an excerpt article, an excerpted article, um, or it could be fodder for this opinion piece or fodder for something else. To get national publicity, there's also one more thing you can do. Uh, this is more of a long shot. If it pays, it pays big. And this is H-A-R-O, help a reporter out. Um, you can subscribe to this and they'll every day shoot you reporters who are looking for experts to interview on stories they are writing. Most won't apply to you. The ones that do, your job is to respond to that as fast as possible. Um, as a journalist, it's not the best expert. It's the quickest one I can get to that says something quotable because then I'm done and I can move on to the next thing. That's just the reality of everything in life, right? Well, particularly true in that. So you don't wanna think about that help a reporter out uh, email that you got and, and, you know, this is not for the exacting personality who has to have everything planned out. Um, speed counts. You get something back to them right away. And it says your name and that you're the author of this book. And then you actually write a pithy quote that they could just take directly, credit you as the author of that book and stick it into their article. That's making it really easy for them. Or if it's interesting enough in your credentials, because you'd put your short bio, short 50 word bio below that, um, it would make them say, oh, well, this person sounds interesting. I can interview them. So I've gotten published in the AARP magazine doing this and circulation 18 million. I've been in uh, you know, the actual Forbes uh, magazine using this strategy um, and many others. So that's one to do, okay. But so you know, and I don't know if you ever go to the racetrack 
and you bet on horses. I came from a, uh, a race horsing family, a horse racing family, I should say. Reverse that. I come from a horse racing family. Um, W.C. Field said he knew horses were smarter than people because he never saw horses bet on people, but people bet on horses. So you can bet on a sure thing, like getting published on LinkedIn. That's a sure thing. You write it, it's up there. Or the real long shot, getting in one of these publications, um, that's like that 99 to one horse. Doesn't come in often, but if it does, you make a lot of money. I don't gamble anymore, but I remember when I was a teenager and I couldn't gamble, um, I gave some money to my sister when we were at the racetrack. And she came back and she says, I've got great news. The horse I bet on is 99 to one. We're gonna win so much money. <laughs> now, I love my sister. She's not good at math. There's a reason that horse was 99 to one. I believe it's still running. I don't think it's come in yet. So this is what you have to weigh, the cost benefit in publicity on which way to go. So I've talked a lot and I need to look at questions. And uh, Suzanne, do we have questions here that I should answer? You've done a good job of doing notes. Well, I'll put it out and we can do it orally. Uh, does anybody have a question about publicity and getting more publicity for your book that you'd like to ask? I have one. I don't know if you're waiting for hands or verbal. Verbal. So, Henry, those have been great positive tips on how to do this. Sometimes I learn from the ugliest. Have you got some other ugly examples of what not to do seeking publicity? Thank you for the question on the what not to do or mistakes I have made. When I was a young publicist at a big PR agency and we were putting on the 80th birthday party for Ray Kroc, uh, founder of McDonald's, owner of the San Diego Padres. I was not fully prepared and I made a phone call and I got through to the photo editor at Time Magazine and started to give the spiel about the 80th birthday party and the big cake and the San Diego chicken was coming in. And, uh, and the, the editor said, let me stop you right there. He goes, big cake? Man in a chicken costume? The Henry Ford of hamburgers? This doesn't grab me. If you want to get in Time Magazine, come up with something that grabs me. So we really need to prepare. Another mistake I made was, um, so I was working for the, uh, as a publicist for the San Diego Padres, and I wrote an opinion piece for the president of the club, and the local daily newspaper agreed to publish it. And, you know, some days went by and my boss came in and they said, well, when are they going to publish it? And I said, oh, he, he didn't say when he was going to publish it. He said he is going to publish it. She goes, well, I think you've made a mistake. And, and I think, you know, we have the right to know when they're going to publish it. So you call the, the chairman of the editorial board of the San Diego Union newspaper and ask them when that's going to be published. 
the little inner voice in my head told me that this was a bad idea. But my boss had just ordered me to do it. So I made the phone call and I got him on the phone and I asked the question. And he was a very formal man. He said, Mr. He was from the South too. Mr. DeVries says, do you subscribe to the San Diego Union newspaper? I said, well, yes, I do, Mr. Fike. He says, well, do you read the editorial page every day religiously? I said, well, yes, I do, Mr. Fike. Well, then you will know when it's published. Good day, sir. Hung <laughs> up. So, uh, yeah, that was another mistake, Chris. We can't be too pushy. Um, remember that the media controls it. Um, these are the these are the things that I would call the mistakes of the career. Are there any other questions? Sure, Henry. We spoke about uh, or you spoke about endorsements uh, earlier, um, and they're the pre-publication endorsements and the uh, endorsements that come in from readers, the reviews, I guess. Where are you in regard to or a best strategy for getting well-known reviewers to take a look at our books? Yeah, Mason, it's a challenge and I've experimented with different things. So I put together a list of reviewers and we were contacting them and sending things about uh, the books and we weren't getting any traction with that at all. Um, I think it's a very individual thing um, now, on the other hand, um, Michael Hyatt, who wrote a very famous book I'm looking at called Platform, had a new book. And I, I had written something about Platform in the column. His publicist read that, found my home address, mailed me a copy of the book with a note that, hope you enjoy Michael's latest book. And I wrote a column on that. So I think a very targeted direct approach to the reviewers is the way to go. There are these services that if you pay them money, uh, they'll have somebody write a review and it goes into a magazine that I guess gets handed out to bookstores or something. Um, I've never really seen that as having great traction, especially since you paid to get the, the coverage. Um, some of the success I've had is being very targeted to who I send copies of my books to and uh, request for them to consider review. Now, these people get stacks of books. So it's not like what a novel approach, you got a book to me and I'll do it. Um, you, you're still, something's gotta jump out to them when it gets received. That's the best approach I know of. Thank you. I think I'm going to add to it. If you think the big publishing houses have this figured out and wired, you're wrong. <laughs> so like with my Buffett book, um, I would find like, what, you know, what were they doing on publicity and all this? And basically they were sending a news release out to 45 people. Um, that's all they're willing to do with their non-famous authors. Um, if you're a celebrity, it's different. Um, you know, Michelle Obama gets a little better treatment uh, when she comes out with a book, um, or or, um, or is it? I'm sorry, now I'm losing it. Riley, 
the O'Reilly factor, the, um, the, the person who was on Fox and comes out Bill with O'Reilly about uh, Bill O'Reilly, yeah, killing Lincoln, killing Patton, you know, the books that he writes, a little different because they have this huge media platform. Okay. Well, I see that our time's up for today. Uh, thank you for attending. Thanks to the listeners. Uh, we'll be back next week with another angle. And all of these podcasts are archived and we do them with how-to topics because we know that's the easiest to search. So if you want some information on any of these topics, just look at our podcast list and we'll have different experts from time to time. I'll be getting some publicity experts in to share their views on this subject. So look for more on this space. Thanks everybody for attending and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, bye-bye. Thank you.